Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Happy Hippie Homestead Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Juba, helping you find happiness and joy on your homesteading journey. This is episode number 11, and we will be discussing more about permaculture and the eight forms of capital. So today we're going to talk only we're going to talk not only about the eight forms of capital that I brought up in the basics of permaculture episode, but we'll talk about how you can actually have these different forms of capital and how you can gain more of this capital if you think you need more of it in your life. I want you to think of these eight forms of capital as wanting to have balance between all eight. So I don't expect them all to be equal, but you should be focusing on all eight at once and not ignoring parts of this list of capital. So you don't necessarily want to have tons of money, which is the financial capital piece, but then have no friends, which is social capital and no spiritual connection in your life, because that could lead to a lot of negativity, a lot of feeling like your life's not complete and you don't know what your purpose is or what you're doing. So I think having a nice balance between these eight is what we should all be looking to have. So instead of focusing just on one category and judging either your own life or someone else's based on one form of capital, look at the bigger picture of what is your life as a whole and not just this one piece. I feel like a big part of this is the financial capital. It's that cash money. It's really easy to judge what your life looks like based on how much cash you have. And I also think it's easy to judge what other people's lives look like based on the amount of cash money they have. They may not have a ton of cash, but they could have a lot of other great things in their lives. So what are the eight forms of capital that we'll be talking about? Financial, social, material, living, experiential, intellectual, spiritual, and cultural. We'll start off with financial capital because that is exactly what it sounds like. And it's what most people think of when you say capital. They think of how much money do I have in my bank accounts or retirement accounts or any other investment account. So think money, currencies, securities, other instruments like cryptocurrency. This is primarily what we use to exchange value for goods and services with each other. This form of capital can also be controlled or manipulated a little bit easier. And because of that control and manipulation, it can be used to oppress or liberate people, depending on what's done with money. Our current banking system here in the United States is constantly being manipulated. Not only is inflation affecting our money, but printing more money whenever we feel like it as a country is manipulating the system. And if you do not know, that is what we do. (laughs) When we decide we need more money, we just go ahead and print millions, billions, trillions, and flood our system with more cash money, devaluing the dollar even further. But that is not what today is about. So on one hand, you have our current banking system can be easily manipulated. Something like Bitcoin, 
which I have not mentioned before. So if anyone is unfamiliar with what Bitcoin, Bitcoin is, it is a cryptocurrency. So this is not an episode or a show on Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, but I did want to mention that the way Bitcoin has been created, it is not meant to be manipulated. It is not meant to be controlled by some higher power, some government, whoever it is. So I just wanted to throw that out there as being a form of capital you can have that is not easily controlled or manipulated. I will share more information about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin kind of as we go along. I'm not an, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but I do have some. So I would love to educate people on some of the basics about cryptocurrency because I do think it's an important form of capital in our very technological advancing world that we are part of. So for financial capital, it's really easy to judge and see what you have. You can pull up your bank account and see how much money's in there. You can pull up your retirement accounts and see as of today, what are, what are those retirement accounts worth? This is how most people will judge if you're quote unquote doing well in life. How much are in those accounts? That means you have a great life, right? Eh, I would say not necessarily. I do think money is important. I think you need to have a certain level of money to be comfortable and happy in life. But honestly, the difference between two million and two and a half million and three million and three and a half million is not going to make a huge difference in your life. Now, going from having zero dollars in your bank account to 10,000 will make a difference. Going from $10,000 to a million will make a huge difference. So I think there's this scale of where we need to be to be comfortable and to be able to make decisions instead of out of fear, but out of wants and creativity and flow. So I think looking at financial capital is important, but I don't want you to judge it by, oh, I only have $20,000 in my account. I'm doing horrible because that's just not true. I want you to take a look at the bigger picture as well as what you have in that bank account. But for now, we're talking about financial capital. So it's easy to look up, easy to get to a number as to what you have for this form of capital. So take an honest look at what you actually do have. If it's not a lot, it's okay. If it's not a lot to you, but might be a lot to somebody else, that's okay too. There are so many ways to build financial wealth wealth in your life. Some of the examples I have here to gain more financial capital is by having a budget, by spending less money. You can invest some of your money that you do have. You can maybe work extra hours at work or pick up another job. Maybe you can start some kind of a business to bring in more money. There's all these different options to get gain more financial capital, but you also need to know what you're doing with the financial capital. That could be probably a whole separate topic as well. Not only how to get money, but how to keep that money is very important. 
So once we've looked at financial capital, we'll move into the next form of capital, which is the social capital. So social capital is influence and connections. It's those people that you know. Knowing these people gives you the ability to maybe ask for favors if you need someone to let your dog out during lunch. You can also maybe influence decisions people are making if they ask for your advice and allows you to have just communication, which is important for us as human beings because we are social creatures. So this is not only important on the individual level, the social capital, but it's important with businesses, with politics, communities, all of it, all across the board, anything we're involved with, there has to be some kind of social capital there. So to really take a look at your social capital, it's not as easy as the financial where you can come up with a number in a few seconds. But this is taking an honest look at who is in your life, family, friends, coworkers, et cetera, whoever it may be. And it's more than just who's in your cell phone as a contact or who is a friend of yours on Facebook. It's also who is there when you call, who picks up the phone. That to me is your real social capital. The people that are there for you, the people that will come to your house and help you build a fence, that's your real social capital. You may have a thousand, two thousand friends on Facebook, but if you really need help and no one shows up, um, you might want to consider building your social capital a little bit more. So this one can be hard to take a look at and see exactly how many people exactly who qualifies to be part of your social capital. It's hard to take a look at that for a couple reasons. Number one, how do you judge all your relationships and put them into a category <laughs> and say, you guys are part of my social capital, but you people over here are not. So I want you to think through if you needed something or if you even if you just needed someone to talk to, you know, maybe not help with offense, but someone just to talk to, who could you go talk to? Even if it's not calling them on the phone, but if you showed up at their office and had to talk to them, would they listen or would they be distracted and kind of doing something else? And you may find when you start looking at the people around you that there's maybe not as many on your list as you thought there was going to be for your social capital. And do not get down on yourself for that. I don't want you to get down on yourself for any piece of this cap of the uh, capital as a whole because it it's okay wherever you are on any of these forms of capital you're allowed to have none and say I'm going to really work on this because I'm out of balance that's okay so do not get down on yourself maybe you have only five people that you consider part of your social capital that you could talk to, that you could call, that maybe would come help you do stuff. Maybe you have 10 people. Maybe you only have one or two people and that's okay. This is a matter of taking an honest look at how many people make up your social capital, knowing who falls into this category and you can add more people to this list as time goes on. So you might be thinking, I'm an adult, and it's really hard to make friends as an adult and build this social capital. So I have some suggestions here to try to help build some social capital. 
And I will say, trust me, I know that it's hard. I moved to a new area about eight months ago and I'm working on trying to build my social capital in my area, not just so I can ask people for favors, you know, or vent to them with my problems, but so it can be a reciprocal transaction so they can call me and vent about their problems. They can ask me for favors. I can go help them and they can come help me. So in order to find people, maybe in your area, if you don't have a lot of social capital, you can start by going to events that interest you. There's all different kinds of events out there about everything. So go to some that interest you. Maybe there's not any that interest you. You can host an event for free. And I don't mean host it in your house and invite a bunch of strangers, but maybe you can rent a room at the library and put up flyers around town or in the library advertising your event. You can advertise it on Eventbrite and all these other places and see who shows up. So the important part is going to events, meeting new people at those events. So you can go to an event, sit in the back with your arms crossed, show up late and leave early you're not going to meet any social capital that way. Getting there a few minutes early, actually mingling with people, staying for a few minutes after to talk to people, that's how you're going to build this social capital. And another idea is keeping in touch with old friends that maybe you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe you don't know if they should be included on your social capital list or not then rekindle that relationship, add them back into your life, add them back to that list. So those are a few suggestions that I have for social capital. So next is material capital, which is non-living physical objects. So think of raw and maybe some processed resources like stone, metal, timber, fossil fuels, and all of these can be put together to make more complex materials like buildings, bridges, tools, computers, more different types of technology. And those are more complex versions of material capital. This one I think is kind of easy to take an inventory of what you have in your life. Do you have a house, a car? Maybe you have a shed. Maybe your property has a bunch of stones or rocks on it. Maybe you have timber on your property. That would be cool. So these are, those are big items that you could have as material capital. But I also want you to think of material capital as the smaller stuff, the stuff inside your home. So do you have a computer? What's your furniture like? clothes, appliances, and all other material items, anything non-living. So I don't expect you to sit down and make a whole list of each and everything you ever owned that is in your house. I don't want you to write down, I've got 10 notebooks, 17 pens, five highlighters, 50 pencils. I think that's a lot. <sighs> But you may, when you first heard about material capital and I listed stone, metal, timber, fossil, fossil fuels, you may think, I don't own any of that. I don't have any of this. But that's not true. You do have a lot of material capital. Maybe you don't own your house, but you want to own your house. Maybe you have a mortgage on your house and you want to pay it off so you own it debt-free instead. So there's a lot of things that go into material capital that you can make goals to work towards 
Maybe you don't own a car. Maybe you need a second car for your family. You just haven't gotten there yet. That can be a way to increase your material capital as well. So if you want more material capital in your life, you can definitely get more. But usually you have to buy this form of capital and exchange it with some financial capital. So this is the first real form of capital where we have to get more, where we want to get more, we have to purchase it with a different type of capital. I know that sometimes you can get items for free, whether that's on Facebook or maybe you inherited some property or a car, which would be awesome, but that's not normal for everybody. Most people, if they want a car or if they want a piece of property or they want a home, they're going to have to buy that somehow, whether that's with cash they already have or through a bank with a traditional mortgage system. So really take kind of a mental inventory of what you do have in your life, maybe what you're missing as far as material capital goes, and know that you can work towards getting what you need for material capital. The next form of capital is living capital. Anything that is alive, animals, plants, water, even the soil that's on your property. These things, not only are they alive individually, but they're what makes our planet alive and function. Permaculture talks a lot about living capital. Permaculture can teach you how to make living capital, like building your soil, growing plants, having animals, and building and creating water systems on your property, whether that's gray water systems or rain catchment systems or drip irrigation systems, permaculture ties into all of that. And it also, this is where the third ethic comes in, which is return of surplus or fair share. So we can compost the extra living capital that we have. So the extra plants, the extra produce, or we can gift some of it to neighbors as well. That's another option. Living capital can also be called natural capital because most of these things are alive on their own. This is something where you can totally just look outside on your property and see what you have. It sometimes is hard to see without closer inspection what the soil is like, but grabbing a handful of dirt or soil will quickly show you what quality soil you have. If it's sandy, rocky, loamy, however it is, you'll be able to see that really easily once you grab a handful of it. So this form of capital, if you want more, whether that's animals, plants, maybe you need a different water system, Maybe you want to build the soil, actually add inches of soil to your property. This is something that you can buy with financial capital, or this is a form of capital that you can grow on your own, like making compost. You can make compost for free in your yard and then use that in the garden to create better and healthier soil. So you're increasing your living capital for free with your kitchen scraps. You can also buy seeds, buy transplants, but you can also propagate plants or save seeds that you have this, save seeds from crop this year for next year. And that's a free way to grow your living capital as well. So living capital, I love living capital. I think it's a lot of fun and there's so much you can go into 
but just take a look at what you have outside. What kind of plants do you have in front of your house? Do you have a garden? What's in your garden? And you can then make some plans and dreams for where you want it to go. If it's not quite where you want it to be yet. And there are many ways to do that on the cheaper side too. Our next form of capital is experiential capital can also be called human capital. This is your hands-on experience. Maybe you know, know how to build a house. Maybe you've completed a permaculture design course, not the course, sorry, just a permaculture design. That's hands-on experience. Maybe you've organized a project in the community, built garden beds, you name it. This is that hands-on. So this is also a form of capital that's not super easy to see. You just can't look outside and say, I've got some hostas out there. You have to really think through what do you have hands-on experience doing? This is a simple list. This you could probably make into a list pretty easy compared to the material capital where you might be tempted to go down the rabbit hole and write out how many pens and pencils you have. This to me is a little bit easier because it's a short should be a shorter list than all the items in your house so make a list of things that you have hands-on experience doing building raised garden beds gardening canning fixing the sink fixing appliances fixing the car making compost basically anything that takes time and some hands-on knowledge maybe you know in your head how to make compost, but if you'd never have actually done it, that's a whole different thing. That's a different form of capital. We're talking about that hands-on, you know how to do it. You can show somebody based on your experience. How can you gain more experience? Maybe your list is gonna be kind of short to start with, with what you have hands-on experience doing. You can gain more experience by just going out and doing more. Sometimes you may have to pay for an experience like a permaculture design course. Other times there are opportunities to volunteer like at a farm or a farm sanctuary, or maybe you can volunteer to build houses for the homeless. There are so many options to go out there and volunteer and gain some hands-on experience with power tools and with building and with gardening, whatever it is you're looking to gain experience in. And I think we, as humans, should know, I prefer to be a jack of all trades, kind of a good across the board at a lot of things. I've built my own raised garden, tons of raised garden beds, but I wouldn't call myself an expert where I can just go build a house, you know? So I've got some power tool experience, but not a ton. And I think we should all strive for a little bit of that to know a little bit of everything across the board. You don't have to be an expert at building things. You can know some building, you can know some canning, you can know some gardening, and that's okay. Another way to gain some experience is to watch a YouTube video and then go try what that YouTube video is saying, whether that's cooking or baking doesn't matter. If you watch a YouTube video and just absorb it, that's intellectual capital. But if you go do the hands-on thing afterwards as practice, that makes that is what makes it experiential capital.
I feel confident that everyone should have a, a list of experiential capital and that this is an easy form of capital to gain just by investing some time in things that you want to know and learn more about. This leads us right into intellectual capital. Intellectual capital is your knowledge. Our global education system is focused on, of course, this form of capital. And they, everyone seems to believe that this is the most important form of capital. And whether it is or is not, I think can be debatable. So society says we're supposed to gain more intellectual capital and that's what's gonna make you successful. You know, the traditional path of go to college, get a better job or get that special certification, then you get more money. So a lot of times people pursue intellectual capital in order to gain financial capital or social capital. So I think you can pursue intellectual capital for those reasons, to make more money or to become a different social standing because of the degrees behind your name. But I also think you can pursue intellectual capital for what it is, just the knowledge in general. This is another form of capital where making a list can come in handy and it probably won't be too long of a list. So you can start with some obvious things like high school diploma if you finish high school. Maybe you went to college and got some kind of a degree or a certification. You can add that to your list. Do you have a certification for your current job? Whatever that job may be, that can get added to the list for intellectual capital. Then there's some not as obvious things that you can add to this list. Maybe you did a first aid CPR class. You can call that sort of maybe experiential if you've used it in real life. But if you've just taken the course and you know how to do that, that goes on this list. If you did a permaculture design course, that could go on this list. If you're certified in things that are not related to your job, like if you have a ton of fitness certifications, they can totally go on to this list. So I want you to think about anything that you've been trained in or taking a course for where you learned something valuable. That is what should go on this list. In order to gain more intellectual capital, you have to learn more. Be well-rounded. So I don't mean go back to college and get an associate's and a bachelor's and a master's and a doctorate and you will max out your intellectual capital. I say that's not true. I think you need to balance out. Maybe you do want some college, some more college education. So by all means, go back to college. But once you get that degree, that doesn't mean you're done learning. That doesn't mean you've learned everything there is to know about that subject. So it's about pushing yourself to continue to learn, whether that's through podcasts or reading books or additional courses, whatever it may be for you. I think this is important. And I think we need to pursue intellectual capital for intellectual capital's sake on its own. We've got a few more pieces of capital left. The next one is spiritual capital. 
This can be found through religion, spirituality, or other forms of connecting with yourself or the universe. The more you practice this capital, the more you have, which is kind of similar to intellectual and experiential capital, because both of those, you have to practice what you're doing in order to get better at it. The more you learn, the more you're going to like learning and you keep learning. With the hands-on experience, the more you practice what you're trying to do, the better it is you'll get at it. To me, spiritual capital is one of the hardest to see how much of this form of capital you have. It's not really tangible. Intellectual capital isn't tangible either, but sometimes you get like a certificate for completing that course. So you have something, sort of, And I think it's not as easy to see as something like financial capital, where either you've got $10,000 in your bank account or you've got $100 in your bank account. So you have to really know yourself with this one. What is your spirituality like? So it's hard to give concrete examples that can apply to everyone because there are so many religions out there with so many ways to practice that religion and I also think there are so many people that aren't religious but believe in all different kinds of things and that's okay so some of the questions you could think about is not only what is you what does your spirituality look like but what is spirituality to you does that mean going to church once a week does that mean praying every night and before every meal Does that mean doing some yoga? Does that mean meditation? Whatever that may be, you need to figure out what that looks like for you. And then how often do you practice this form of spirituality? Do you maybe practice it once a month, once a year, once a week, once a day? There is no right or wrong answer with that as to how much you should be doing with the spiritual capital. But if you do say, I only practice it once a year, you probably aren't doing it quite enough to be rich and full in this spiritual capital. Now, I don't think you need to do it every minute of every day or seven times a day to be the perfect number. I don't think there is a perfect number. I think it'll depend on what spirituality is to you as to how much you need to be participating in and enriching your life, what you need to be reading to expand your spirituality. I think that all factors into here. So this one is very personal. It can be very controversial as well. So some of these questions are going to help you determine where you are and if you need to improve and maybe where you need to improve. Maybe you take the time for spirituality once a day, which is great, but you're not pushing the envelope and learning and growing more with your spirituality. So that's something to think about too. So the last form of capital I have is cultural capital. Cultural capital we get from our community. These are the internal and external processes of that community. So celebrations, holidays, songs, works of art. This is also very hard to measure because it's not very cut and dry. Everyone's culture looks so totally different. Depends on where you grew up. 
It depends on what is your heritage that can factor into what your culture is. So you have to really take a look at what does your culture look like? Is there something that your family did regularly or celebrated on a regular basis? Is there a song that has been sung and passed down for generations? There's no right or wrong answer. If your family doesn't have a song, they don't have a song and that's okay. If your family doesn't have a work of art, that's okay. But if your family has a traditional dance that they do, maybe you want to learn more about that dance and make sure you pass it on to your kids. Same thing with the celebrations. Maybe your family celebrated a ton of things and you want to pass a lot of those down. Maybe they, you think they celebrated too much and you're going to cut a few of those out for your kids. That's okay. Maybe you didn't celebrate a lot at all and you want to add some new traditions and celebrations for your family or community and that's okay. Maybe taking a good look at what does your culture look like for you, for your family, maybe you'll realize that the culture you have you feel disconnected from and maybe now's the time to reconnect with that culture. Or you might feel like you didn't really have a lot of growing up a lot of this cultural capital in general. So you can create a new culture for you and your community and family. You can change that culture by creating new traditions and things to celebrate with your family. It doesn't matter if your family or community is only three people or if it's 150 that's okay. You can still help shape the culture and keep the culture going. This does not have to be strictly family, the people you're related to, or just the people that live in your house. This can be a bigger, larger community as a whole. So if you don't feel like you have a community or some kind of family where you share a little bit of culture with, you can create your own community. And if that's, that is a lot of work and that can seem kind of daunting, you can also join an already existing community and embrace their culture and maybe add some things if they're open to it as you go. So how do all of these forms of capital relate to one another besides helping us have this balanced life? So you can exchange one form of capital for another not in every situation, but sometimes, especially the financial one, you could trade that for a lot of different things. You can also have different experiences that will create more capital for you of multiple forms at the same time, like a tiny home building course that's in person. Not only are you gaining the intellectual capital of the course, but you're gaining the experiential capital of the hands-on being there doing the tiny home building. But you also gain a social capital with the people that you're there with. The people that you spend a week or two weeks, whatever it may be, learning side by side with. Usually, especially for a course like this one, you're going to exchange some financial capital to get this experience that'll go into multiple buckets of capital. But depending on what you do with that intellectual and experiential and social capital afterwards, 
you can gain financial capital. Maybe you decide after your tiny home building course that you want to build tiny homes for people. Then you're going to gain financial capital. If we focus on more than just financial capital in our lives and we focus on the other seven forms of capital, our need for money starts to decrease and we become more well-rounded individuals. So yes, everyone will still need some form of money, but you can get by with a lot less money and financial capital if you have social capital, those people you can rely on for a favor. So instead of paying someone to put up a fence, you can buy the materials for a lot less and have people come over and help you build the fence. If you had living capital, so food in abundance, you would spend less financial capital at the grocery store. If you had material capital, like a roof over your head, and it doesn't have to be one of those McMansions, you know, it can just be a regular house. But if you have a roof over your head, you're going to pay less money than you would if you have to stay at a hotel or an Airbnb. If you have experiential capital, you can do things for yourself, like build raised garden beds, fix an appliance when it breaks, fix your car when it breaks, instead of hiring other people and paying them money to do it for you. And intellectual capital, I think knowledge is power as well, because you can share that knowledge and gain financial capital instead of losing it, paying someone else to teach it to you. So if we focus on all these different pieces, our need for money goes down. So cultural and spiritual capital are the only two I didn't mention because I think those two are really important internally and can help you become more well-rounded. But they don't translate, at least not in my mind, quite as nicely to relying on less money. So take an honest look at the eight forms of capital that you currently have in your life. Do you have an area or two that maybe you're lacking in? I want you to think about this like a ship almost, like the tide rises, the ship goes up. All the ships go up when the tide rises. I want you to think about this with your eight forms of capital. We're not just going to raise up one boat all the way and leave all the rest down in nowhere. We're going to raise all the boats up together and have a good amount of capital in each of those eight forms of capital. So I'm going to list the eight forms of capital one more time here, and I'll make sure they're in the show notes as well. So the eight forms of capital are financial, social, material, living, experiential, intellectual, spiritual, and cultural. How will your life change when you work on creating these eight forms of capital in your life? I think this can improve everyone's lives for the better and help us move away from a system that is so focused on consumerism and nothing but that financial capital and sometimes the intellectual capital with pushing people to go to college, which also ties back into the financial capital. There's so much more to life than money. And while money is important 
and you do need to have enough of it, why don't we focus on becoming more well-rounded at the same time as building our financial wealth? So before we end today with that, I just wanted to throw out there in case you're listening to this podcast on a, I'm not going to call it weird, but kind of weird podcast player you're not used to listening to podcasts on. We are now on almost every major podcast streaming service out there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher. I've got a whole list of them that are out there. One of the ones I wanted to bring up, though, is Fountain. So Fountain is a newer app. So we're touching on cryptocurrency one more time today, and then I will get off it, I promise. So for Fountain, what's really cool about it is when you listen to podcasts, you get Bitcoin. Now, no, they don't give you a full Bitcoin for listening to a podcast. For those of you that may not know, Bitcoin, I think, is trading right now. One Bitcoin is high 20,000s, I think, in the $20,000, $30,000 range just for one Bitcoin. So they don't give you a Bitcoin. They give you sats, which I will go into that at a whole different time. But a sat essentially is a piece of a Bitcoin that they give you for listening to podcasts. And Fountain is also a great place to do value for value exchange. So if you are listening to a podcast and you earn 500 sats, you can then give that to a podcaster essentially for free. Like you're not putting out any money to help support that podcaster. So I think Fountain is a really cool app and we are on Fountain as well at the moment. And I know I listen to all my podcasts through Fountain to try to earn some extra sats in there to have a little bit more Bitcoin So that is what I have for right now on Fountain. I might be talking about it a little bit more in the future. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Happy Hippie Homestead Podcast. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. Join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for more amazing content.